0: Also, last Sunday night, we had a question and answer session with people on the whole subject of sex, and people texted in questions, and, uh, which made it anonymous, which meant that the questions were honest. And uh, so we've got some very frank and very honest questions. So on the MP3, we've got the, the teaching, which was about 50 minutes to an hour, and then we've got the question and answer session, which was about another hour on top of that. So if you missed last Sunday night, I really recommend you might want to download that. In fact... No, because uh, they were very frank questions. So, so I, I would recommend if you're uh, for only for under 40-year-olds can download that MP3. That's the, that's the rating on under 40s. I'm kidding you on. You're all mature enough. Okay, so uh, you want to sign up for that podcast and get that free. Today we're going to be talking about parenting. As we talk about this, like all the other subjects we've been speaking on, I have to acknowledge at the beginning that some of you here will find this very hard. Some of you, particularly single parent mums or dads, will struggle when you hear some things. You you might be sitting here with regrets in hearing what what I'm sharing. Uh, You might think, I wish I'd done differently. And do you know what? To be honest, probably everyone in this auditorium would say they wish they'd done differently. So we're not coming from a place that this is our perfect model and everyone's got it right. Myself included, we've failed in so many areas. And by God's grace, we can succeed. And the good news is that wherever you're at today, whatever your past or situation has been, God has a bright future for you. And he works with you today and builds you towards a great future. Also, if you're single here today, you might think, well, what relevance does parenting have to do with me? In your mind, you might be miles off being a parent. I I understand that might seem irrelevant, but there are principles today which need to be said, which I believe that parenting kind of, it it defines the whole fabric of society. So I believe whether you like the subject or not, whether you feel it's relevant or not, it is a subject that has affected you and will impact through you in the future, I believe. So we do well to to listen up. It was a story of a lady, she was rushed into hospital in Edinburgh. Uh, In fact, what happened was she was pregnant and she'd had a car crash and she was rushed into hospital and she was in a coma. She was in a coma for about six months and she came out of the coma and she came around in the hospital bed and she realized she'd had the kids. So she called the doctor over and said, what happened to the kids? And they said, oh, you had twins, congratulations, everything's fine, don't worry. In fact, your, your brother came through from Glasgow to name the twins. And the lady said, not my brother, he's so stupid. What do you call them? And she braced herself. And the doctor said, it's all right. He, he called the little girl Denise. I said, oh, that's all right. What do they call the little boy? I said, the nephew <laughs> On that note We interviewed people in Edinburgh And asked them what they thought About parenting And what the best environment to raise kids was So here's what they said What do you think is the best way to raise kids And what's the best environment to raise them in? Uh, God, in a family I guess um, Doesn't matter what sort of family In fact, I don't, I don't know if it matters As long as, as, long as they're well loved I guess I would probably say, like, in a traditional family way, mum and dad, nice house, good jobs. With a partner, a steady home, no drugs, no drink, uh, like the way I was brought up. I uh, know I didn't turn out that well, but my two big brothers did. Well, I think where it's possible, within the marriage relationship. Be parents? is very difficult. What do you think the best environment to raise children is? Well, I'm a child of a broken marriage, mm-hmm. and... Uh, you know, I think a dad a really big miss. I think it does help to just have a really a stable sort of base where the children feel happy. Whether it's whether it's you know man, woman, two men, um, you know, and I'm, I mean they don't even have to be married. Just sort of a stable base, I think, is the main thing. I do think a stable environment is a best way to raise a child, but I don't think that's necessarily within a, within marriage. Obviously, as a couple, you know. In, in, a, in a proper family. If it's a calm house, then the kids will they'll get on. But if was a violent house, then obviously the kids have got to be violent. I think it depends on the parent, because like, the cycle will just continue like, parent to child. Um, so if the cycle's not broken, like if the par- it's a bad parent, the child's just going to become the parent. And the cycle keeps continuing, so education probably is the best place to start there. Uh, the best way to tutor... I think uh, parents today... I don't know. I think parents should be more communicated with, uh, with the kids because uh, I don't think they are. You have to be honest with children. Uh, the best relationship is just a loving relationship. I don't necessarily no? think you have to attach a, a label of Christian or, or even necessarily a, a belief in the Bible to raising children because I think there's probably lots of um, atheistic or agnostic parents who are fantastic parents uh however as a, a sort of moral code um uh, then probably the bible's as good as it gets and, and it's a, it's probably an appropriate way at least to, to bring your children up and it's interesting to hear where people are coming from uh, when it comes to uh, family it really is one of those issues that is the make or break of human beings and uh, so it's something we've got to take time to look at, and that's what we're doing in these, in these weeks together. Let me introduce you to my family. Uh, this slide here, not that one, that's the skyscraper we grew up in. Okay, now that's me on the right, no sorry, uh, that's, that's my grandfather on the right. He was a minister, this is when he's in Australia. And uh, down there in the bottom left is my dad hiding behind the drum shield. My dad's also over here today, give us a wave dad. In fact, stand up, Dad. Let's hear from my Dad. <laughs> uh, dad, uh, dad just happened to randomly plan to come to service today. So it's, it's great that I'm talking about parenting. So as you can see, Dad hasn't changed much since then. Lost a little bit of hair, uh, but is still as good looking as ever. That's, that, that was, my, my grandfather was a minister. He became a minister having survived the sick... Sorry, First World War trenches. He survived and he said, God, if you get me out of this, I'll become a minister. And God got him out of it and he became a minister. And then he went through the Second World War as a chaplain to help folks. And and then he became a minister. uh, He was a minister in Australia. That's where Dad was born. G'day. And then he he came over and was a minister in Glasgow. My great-grandfather was also a minister. My dad was an artist. Um, So Dad was the rebel. (laughs) But Dad loves God and Dad preaches through in Glasgow. So he's he's very much involved with ministry. So that's uh, that's my, my dad's family. And then next slide. This is my dad and me. Quite relaxed there, you can see. And then here's my mum and my sister. Uh, You can see my sister's the one here with the kind of funny orange skin. Uh, And the next slide is me and my family. So that's Angie. So not all of you know Angie. She's often up in kids' church. Uh, she, she and others lead the kids ministry and that's michael and that's becky becky's eight michael's six that's my family okay the world the world has always been a tough place for kids and to be honest it's 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 a tough place in getting tougher but it we should be we would be wrong in thinking it's, it, it was better in the past because actually in the bible times it was even worse but just in our day and age this is how it is for kids The World Health Organization estimates that during 2002, there were 150 million girls and 73 million boys under 18 who experienced forced sexual intercourse or other forms of sexual violence. 100,000 under 16s run away from homes every year in Scotland. In 2004, the Scottish executive revealed that 548 children Ages between 8 and 16 were reported to be coming forward for treatment for drug addictions. On drugs as strong as heroin. One in five children conceived in Scotland are aborted. One in five. So it's tough for kids. It's very tough for kids. But in the Bible days, and in the moment we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians, that's what we've been working our way through in the last few months. In the times that the Bible was written things were even tougher. In the time when the Bible was written, infant mortality was incredibly high. It was common that parents wouldn't name their children for the first week because the likelihood was they wouldn't survive the first week. It was the case that only half of children made it to age five and then only 40% of those who survived to age five made it to age 12. That was healthcare and that was the sanitation. That was the realities of the world. But also there was the realities of the way human beings treated the kids. And the Roman model for fatherhoods was incredibly destructive and dangerous for kids. The Roman father had a legal right, and he was called the patria potestas, which means the father's power. He had ultimate and absolute authority over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could work them in the fields like prisoners with chains around their necks. He had the right to kill his children or to seriously chastise them. Uh, This power also, this power that the father had over his child didn't end when the child moved into adulthood. This power that the father had over a child continued right through the child's life. So there was no coming of age. A child could grow up and become a man and then get a job and become a magistrate in Rome, yet the father still had absolute authority over him. Also, there was the custom in those days of exposure where children would be, when they were born, would be laid at the feet of the father. And if the father picked the child up, that meant the father was accepting that child as his own. If the father turned his back and walked away, that was then him rejecting the child and the child would be abandoned. Uh, There was an extract from a letter written in 1 B.C., Between a man and his wife, he was in Alexandria and he was writing home to his wife. And this is how the letter goes. Hilaron to Alias, his wife. Heartiest greetings. (laughs) If you have a child, if he is a boy, let him live. If it is a girl, throw it out. And that was the realities. Abandoned kids were left in the Roman forum or on garbage heaps. And they became the property of anyone who came along. So as you can imagine, that was abused greatly. People would go along, choose children to become their slaves. Or people involved in the sex trade then would bring them into brothels, raise them and they would become prostitutes. And Christians often went, gathered up these abandoned children and adopted them into families and gave them rights as children. Ancient civilizations were also merciless to the sick and to the deformed children. Seneca, the Roman philosopher, writes and talks about that, and he says this, We slaughter a fierce ox. We strangle a mad dog. We plunge a knife into the sickly cattle, lest they taint the herd. And children who are born weakly deformed or deformed, we drown. So it's tough being a kid. It's tough being a kid today. It's tough being a kid in Bible days. Things have actually probably got better, most likely because of the impact of Christianity. But as the society moves away from attending church, exposure to God, then so too the values and the strength and family that comes with that is removed that undergirds civilization. So again, we're seeing an erosion in the way p- children are being treated. Christianity brought a revolution <coughs> on the way people treated kids. So I've got four main headings I want to talk about today from the verses in Ephesians. And the verses in Ephesians are found in Ephesians chapter six, verses one to four. Ephesians six: one to four. "Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the lands. Fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction. Of the Lord. You know, I don't know what about you, but th- this is pretty much Paul's advice in the book of Ephesians to parents. And if, I, if you think about it and look at those verses, there's something strange about it. You look at it, it. I'll tell you what's strange. It's strange because it's heavily weighted towards the father. And here's why I think that is because the mothers are doing okay, actually. And typically, the problems in a family come because of a father and it might be because the father wasn't even there now having said that some of you are shouting in your heart just now you don't know my mum Peter and I understand that some of you had a horrendous experience of your mother but I do know that typically as a pastor the people I'm working with and the challenges people are facing typically the challenges come from the father And Paul loads his challenge to the men and tells them to get a grip and to not provoke their children but to raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay, so let's go into the fourth key things I want to share. Number one, parents honor parents. Honor your father and mother, it says in verse two. This is the first commandment with promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the lands. Now, you know what? If I was speaking in the kids' church, I would say, kids, honor parents. But I'm not speaking in the kids' church, I'm talking to adults. And I know that every one of us have parents. So there's no point in me telling you kids, honor your parents. I'm telling you parents, honor parents. Adults, honor your parents. It's interesting, here it says, very practically, this is a commandment. It's one of the ten commandments, honor your mother and father. And it's one of the commandments that comes with a promise. The promise is that you will live long. And I believe that promise means two things. I think it means that spiritually there is God endows someone who's honored their parents supernaturally with length of life. I believe that. I think it's a promise of scripture. But also, I believe practically it's true as well. That someone who takes advice, who follows someone's good guidance, they're going to live a better life and a longer life potentially than the person who's been a rebel so it's just a statement of fact as well as being a statement of God's divine provision through a promise. But also I believe that this whole principle of honoring has been lost in our society. Honoring and respect is all nearly but disappeared from United Kingdom. So what we do in our society is teens, they slander and hate parents and adults. And they, last Sunday night there there was a bunch of teens came in. Great kids. I love having teens in the church. I got a chance to one of the teams at the end, and he said, "I want to kill you." I thought that was nice, so I chucked him out. <clears throat> but anyway, I thought that wasn't very much respect. And it's not even that I'm that much older than him. It's just it's an attitude in society. There's re- reaction. There's uh, aggression. There's no respect. And same with adults. We we re- we don't respect politicians. We, we slander them. And how many good politicians have been sacked because they made one mistake and who doesn't make a mistake? They made one mistake and some journalist only interested in making money out of the rig story finds that mistake and spreads it all across the newspaper as if that journalist hasn't done a hundred times worse things themselves. I'm not saying that politicians shouldn't be accountable. I think they should be accountable. But what I'm saying is we're undermining their ability to lead if we don't give them any respect at all. Also, we, we undermine teachers. We undermine uh, leaders in churches. I, I'm grateful that we have a great attitude in this church. But I know some pastors really struggle in the churches because their churches are full of narrow-minded, weird nutters of religious people who just bitch and backbite about the minister. And I think, that's thank God you're not like that. And I I really feel for ministers who have that situation. No respect. And no respect really undermines society. It's also expressed in the way we treat our elderly. Our elderly are dumped in nursing homes and the government will look after them. Rather than us taking responsibility for them. And it doesn't mean that the government shouldn't look after them. It's just that we've got to make sure our attitude is right in doing that. 2005 in Edinburgh, there were 30 relatives who died sorry, 30 elderly people who died, who there was no relatives at the funeral. I think that's heartbreaking. That someone would die and no one went to the funeral to say that person meant something to me. That's heartbreaking. You're not going to tell me there's no relatives out there. See, especially with the breakdown of the family unit and with the bitterness and the deep resentments that come from that, we're moving towards a society where as people get older, they're going to be deeply estranged from people who should be their nearest and dearest. So this is going to become more and more the case as people get older. There's going to be lack of respect and people are going to be treated with lack of dignity. It's interesting though, that when you look at other cultures, we don't see this same issue. We see respect. In Asia, for example, in Shanghai, there's a story of, in Shanghai, uh, there's a lot of the community leaders, name and shame, People who don't visit their elderly parents, and they put them on public notice boards to say this person didn't visit their elderly parent in the last two weeks. It's funny, isn't it? There's also a nursing home in Shanghai where the elderly are there, and if you don't visit your elderly mother or father in two weeks, you'll get a fine. <laughs> I just think, well, that is completely different to Scotland's. You know, if you if you visit them in two years, you may get a fine in Scotland's. An elderly woman. In preparation for her funeral, she knew she was going to die soon. She spoke to the local minister, and she said, I have two requests. Uh, firstly, I'd like to be cremated. Secondly, I'd like my ashes to be spread in Asda. And, and the minister said, excuse me, what? And he said, no, I want my ashes to be spread in Asda, because at least I know my daughters will then visit me <laughs> twice a week. But listen, I'm not talking to kids' church about honoring your parents. I'm talking to adults about honoring the elderly. And you might say, well, Peter, I'm here to learn about how to become a better parent. I, I just want, I, you need to understand this is everything to do with that. Because there's an attitude which must change. If we want it to change in our kids, it's got to change in us. And here's the fact. What you sow is what you'll reap. The way you are with your parents will most likely be the way you are, will be treated when you are in your elderly years. What you sow... It's what you will reap. I remember dad telling me a story about him and his father. And there was a bit of a, you know, they loved each other, but they didn't really talk about that. And dad was with his father when he was lying in his deathbed, dying, my grandfather. And Dad's realized that there hadn't been much communication of that love, although there had been an understanding of that love. And he held his father's hands and he said, dad, I love you. And Dad squeezed his hand to acknowledge that he loved him too. I remember Dad then saying to me, "Peter, I don't want to wait, you know." And and so me and Dad, on a regular basis, we tell each other and quite openly and freely that we love each other, and we genuinely do, and we have no problem saying that. We have no awkwardness saying that because there's genuine love and respect. But I want to say, don't wait till the person's funeral before you stand up and tell everyone how great they were. Tell them how great they were while they're living and breathing. Show your appreciation and respect your elders. While you're alive, and what you sow is what you'll reap. Jesus, as he was dying on the cross, notice when he was hanging on the cross, he was thinking of us. He was dying in that cross and he's praying, Father, forgive them. He was thinking of us. He was not thinking of himself. And he was also thinking of his mum. As he hung and died on the cross, he sees his mum and he says to one of his disciples, Son, I want you to look after her now. I'm giving her into your hands. And he made provision for Mary's provision as she went into her elderly years. The apostle John was going to look after her. It's incredible. That's our model. That's our example. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, but those who who won't care for their own relatives, especially those living in the same household, have denied what they believe and they are worse than unbelievers. You'll reap what you sow in this area. We must model honor. And as a church... We believe in the principle of honoring. Now listen, let me say this to you. The Bible says, honor your mother and father. It doesn't say, honor your goods, mother and father. It doesn't qualify whether they're good or not. It just says, honor your mother and father. Now you might have had a a rubbish mother and father. Or a great mum and an absent father. But the Bible still says, honor. Honor is not to do with how good they are at what they do honor is to do with the fact that they're your parents and i want to urge you no matter how hard it is for your sake and for your children's sake and for your legacy's sake work towards a place where you can at least be reconciled with your parents if there's divisions if you're carrying bitterness and hurt you need to let go of that at some point it's going to ruin you it'll take your future away don't let it come to the place where you can give forgiveness why not write the note why not make the phone call? Why not pay a visit? Honour your mother and father. Second thing I want to say is, father, fathers be role models to your kids. There's mum walking along one day with her four-year-old daughter. And uh, the four-year-old daughter reaches down, picks up something from the ground and shoves it in her mouth. And the, and the mother says, Honey, you don't do that. Get out of your mouth. And she says, Why not, mum? And she says, Because when things have been in the grounds." they've got germs in them and if you put them in your mouth then germs will go into your tummy and you'll get an upset tummy and that'll not be good for you. And she looked at her mum in awe and she said, Mum, how do you know all these things? That's amazing. And her mum thought, well, okay, what it is is to be a mum you need to pass the mummy test and I passed the mummy test. All mums have to pass the mummy test. And the little girl was processing this and after a couple of minutes of silence she said, Mummy, I get it now. You pass the mummy test. And those who don't pass the test become dad, right? (laughs) Now, I believe these verses in Ephesians are loaded towards the dads because typically mums are doing a fantastic job. It is the case that sadly, most of the parenting is done by the mums and the dads kind of... They kind of cop out by saying, well, I provide the money for it all. But what we see in the Bible is a totally different model. The Bible encourages mother and father to be both as interested and committed and as intensely involved with the kids' lives as each other. Now, it doesn't mean they give the same time allocations to it. It might not be possible for the father to give the same amount of time as the mother or vice versa. But the principle is the intensity needs to be there. It says in Ephesians 4, 6, 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger. You know that a father's actions, words, attitudes can stir up in a kid such emotions of anger, hostility, and bitterness, and resentment. Now some of you feel that, some of you know that. Some of you that's the thing that's crippled your adult life. So you know what this is talking about. This verse is so relevant. Fathers, do not provoke that kind of stuff in your kids. And we must make sure, see, what what provokes it in them is kids see the sins of the father, and it provokes in them anger. And their sins of commission and sins of omission. It's the things that they do do, and it's the things that they should have done but didn't do. And more often than not, it's not even the things that they did do that make you bitter. It's the things that they never did, that they should have done. And it creates a bitterness and a resentment in children that can undermine their adulthood. You have the harsh, controlling father that stirs anger and bitterness in the children. You have the distant, unengaged father that stirs resentment in children. Often that unengagement comes from issues in their own life. That fathers aren't able to engage the children sometimes because of addictions in their life. It is the case that if fathers are addicted to pornography, that they will be distant in the way they relate with their spouse and with their children. They'll be ashamed about the way they connect with them. And they will find it hard to look them in the eye and to get alongside and to be intimate with them. Unengaged. You have mean-spirited fathers who spend all their money on themselves or their booze or their hobbies. That their time is the most important to them. And you have abusive fathers who are abusive either with their hands or with their mouths or with their manipulative ability to bend people to do what they want. And that abuse might be towards the children and or the mum. And this creates such resentment and bitterness in kids. And Paul writes to father and says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't stir that stuff in them. You see, I believe... One of the reasons that fathers are so important is that they have a role model responsibility to the children. And there's lots of things they've got a role model. But the main thing, and this is the biggie, the main thing that the fathers role model to the children is what God is like. When Jesus came into this world, God was taking on human flesh. There was Jesus Christ. And Jesus spoke about the Father, God, in a way that others had not spoken about him. He referred to him not just as Father, but he referred to him as Abba Father. Now, in those days, Abba was different to the, our understanding. Uh, it, it, was, it came from a Greek word which kids used to describe their dads. Like today, we would say Father, very respectfully. But we would say, Dad when we're talking to someone we love and are close to. What Jesus was saying, when he was saying, Abba, Father, he was talking about that kind of child responding to the Father as Dad. There was an intimacy in that language. And Jesus was revealing God, not as some distant, far-off, unapproachable, harsh, uninvolved, brutal creator who is distant and not interested in his creation, But rather, Jesus was revealing him as a father with whom you could have intimacy. In fact, you could call him Daddy. That was a revolution. Most of the Jewish people who heard Jesus speak had a deep awe and respect for God. And rightly so, because God is the creator. God is the judge. God is awesome. Worthy they've all respect and awe. But Jesus brought balance to that conviction of fear. And he brought balance to it. And he brought in also intimacy. That while God is that creator, he is that just judge. He is that God who has wrath and who's worthy of awe and respect. He also is equally a God of love. A God of intimacy. A God who is interested. A God who is not a distant father or absent father, but an involved father. A God who's interested in people's lives. If you don't know God, if your impression of God is that God is distant, then you've misunderstood God. If you look at the disasters around the world and think, God, you hate us, you've misunderstood God. God is near. God is dad. God wants to be your dad. And the ball's in your court with that one. He wants you to come to him. He wants to give you life. Jesus came and died for you on the cross and rose again so that by you accepting him, God could be your Dad. And you could be his child for all eternity. So Jesus revealed him in an awesome way. John Piper, speaking of his own dad, said this. Your dad should make you feel afraid and secure. That's the balance of fatherhood. There is an awesome respect for fathers. Father is the one who disciplines. But if that's all you've had, and if that's all your thoughts about God are, then you're completely imbalanced. And your dad hasn't reflected God properly. (laughs) And equally, your father should also provide you with great security, tenderness and love. That balance with the discipline gives you that feeling of deepest security yet greatest respect. And that's exactly how fathers should be because that's exactly how God is in the most great way. There was a primary class of kids and the teacher asked the kids one day, I want you to draw a picture of God. They gave them all a piece of paper and paintbrushes. The kids went away, came back half an hour later with all their different paintings. It was a very abstract thing to draw. She just wanted to see what they came up with. One kid drew an old man with a beard. One kid drew a rainbow. Another kid drew kind of sh- strong, heavy clouds in the sky. And One kid proudly held up her little drawing and said, I don't know what God looks like, so I just drew my daddy She had a picture of our dad. And I thought, you know what? That's exactly what our kids should be saying about us. If we're doing our job right, we should be respecting the awesomeness of God, but also the tenderness and the security that comes from God. Both are essential. Both are held in tension. And both build strong kids and strong human beings So we see the importance of fathers in that they're reflecting God. But also fathers, you've got to model to your sons how to treat women. You know the best thing a father can do for his kids is love their mum. Did you know that? So often what happens is when kids come along, kids dominate as they would understand they would. They dominate people's time. It dominates the horizons. It consumes their lives because it's nappies and it's organizing buggies and school concerts and it just consumes so much time. And what what tragic can happen in marriage is that the husband and wife start giving each other the dregs because they're too tired because they've just given everything to the kids. But I want to say, listen, that kid's in this world because you guys made love and they're a product of your love. And let me say, that was at the beginning of their life. If they're going to continue to thrive during their life, they need to continue to be a product of your love, that ongoing love, that ongoing commitment to each other. Never allow your time to get so diffused into your children that you neglect the very one with whom you brought that child into the world with in the first place. It's that love that brought them into the world. It's that love that will continue to help to thrive in the world. I tell you, a kid's rather knowing that his mum was loved by his dad rather than they had a new toy... Or he had the best of things. The best thing a father can do for his kids is love the mum. Statistically, research has shown that children who see physical violence between parents are six times more likely to abuse their own spouses when they marry. Fathers, model how to treat women to your kids. Fathers, you model to your daughters what they should expect in a man. They're going to be looking at you. You are their adult role model. And if they see you acting in a way that's not the way you would want them to marry, then you've got to change your ways. We were in Perth on holiday. uh, and Perth, Scotland, not Perth, Australia. That holiday will come. We were just walking through town, going into some of the shops, and there was a homeless guy there, so I got chatting to him. I went and got him a sandwich and gave him the sandwich. I was chatting to him and I, I prayed with him. And Angie was standing over there with the kids and she turned to Becky and said, Becky, that's the kind of guy you want to marry. And Becky said, who, the homeless guy? (laughs) I thought that was funny. From the University of Uppsala in Sweden, Dr. Anna Sarkadi said this, our detailed 20-year review shows that overall children reap positive benefits if they have active, regular engagement with a father figure. Children who have had positively involved father figures are less likely to smoke or get into trouble with the police, achieve better results, be, sorry, the best levels of education and develop good friendship with both sexes. Long term benefits include women who have better relationships with the, women have better who have had better relationship with the partners and a greater sense of mental and physical well being at the age of thirty three if they had a good relationship with a father when they were sixteen. It's funny, you know, one of the key moments for a father's involvement in a daughter's life is in their teens. Did you know that? It's crucial. They're starting to frame, they're starting to notice men. And the man, the father's involvement in his daughter's life in, that, in those years, in those teens years, are so crucial to how they go on to do well. Fathers, be involved. Fathers, you need to role model. You need to be interested and involved with the lives of your children. Uh, When Ray McCauley was with us for the men's conference in November, uh, they had just celebrated at Rayma Church in South Africa their big anniversary. I think it was the 30-year anniversary in the Coca-Cola arena in Johannesburg. And they had Joel Osteen from the biggest church in America speak at that celebration service. And Ray McCauley was talking to myself about his conversation with Joel Osteen. And he said, he, he gave me some he, he kind of told me a couple of stories that really impressed me. Uh, there was a story of Will Smith, the actor, was flying into Houston and he phoned Joel Osteen's PA uh, and he was asking, Is it possible I'm flying in on Wednesday night in my helicopter? I'd love to meet Joel Osteen. Is he free? So, the, so Joel Osteen's PA runs into uh, Joel Osteen and says, Joel, you're never going to believe this. Will Smith wants to meet you. And, what, and he said, what night is it? And he said, it's Wednesday night. And he looks in his diary, and he's going to his kids' thing at school. So he said, I'm really sorry, I can't make it. And I thought, isn't that fantastic? Now, there's the man who leads the biggest church in America. And that's a good role model. Fathers, you need to be interested and involved in the lives of your kids. I want to encourage you dads. Be involved at the important events in your kids' life. Not what you think is important, but what they consider important. The other day, I went to Becky's uh, becoming a brownie ceremony. It was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. She made this brownie vow. She had the sash on. They all did this funny dance thing. Um, did some animal sacrifices. No. So. <laughs> but you know, school concerts. Be involved now. If you're a dad who's divorced. Be as involved as you possibly can be. Don't just pursue your own life. Be involved. If you're divorced and away from your kids, you know, you need to negotiate this with the, with the mum, but I would encourage you, if you can phone them daily, phone them daily. Phone them regularly. Let them have your mobile number. Pay for their mobile so they can call you anytime. any time. Be a dad who is totally accessible. Be connected as you can be. Make the best of that situation. And your kids will do well. If you're a single parent mum, make sure you've got great role models of guys around your family unit to provide support and strength to your family unit. If the dad's absent, it doesn't need to be disastrous. In a church environment especially, there's great guys around. Ask them to be involved in helping you raise your kids, being role models for them the former vice chairman of Coca-Cola stood up one day in an important meeting and he read this speech out. He said this in 1996. Imagine life as a game in which you are juggling five balls in the air. You name them, work, family, health, friends, and spirit. You soon understand that work is a rubber ball. If you drop it, it will bounce back. But the other four balls... Family, health, friends, and spirit are made of glass. And if you drop any of these, they will be irrevocably scuffed, marked, nicked, damaged, or even shattered. They will never be the same. You must understand that and strive for balance in your life. It's great you want to work hard and earn money for your family. But also they would like to see you. Fathers, be involved And I want to tell you that God is like that. God is not a distant God. He is involved. You might think you're going through something just now. I think, God, where are you? I want to tell you God's never been closer. The Bible says he is an ever-present help in time of need. He is close. He has never abandoned you. He is for you. Don't run from him. Run to him. Fathers, model humility and approachability to your kids. Model humility and approachability to your kids. After an argument my mum and dad had, one day I was driving with dad after being coming home from school, I think it was. I can still picture where it was. It was in the countryside between Lindsay and Christon. And dad was chatting to me. And dad said to me, Peter, I'm really sorry for the way me and your mum argued last night. I remember that. why do I remember that, I don't know, 20 years on? I, I'll tell you why I remember that, because... That communicates to me humility. See, when you make a mistake, fathers, just because you're the dad and you think you shouldn't make mistakes, or who are you to tell me I've made mistakes, you could get on your high horse and be all proud, or you could set a phenomenal example that will put your kids in great stead to build awesome futures by saying, I blew it, I'm really sorry. Now, I want to say God is like that. Not that God ever blows it, but that God is available and He is humble. That the creator of the universe came into our world in order to relate to us, in order to connect to us, in order to save us. Fathers model spirituality to your kids. This is so important. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this: "A house is actually a school and a church, and the head of the house is a pastor of his house." <coughs> Fathers model spirituality. To your kids, you see, the boys in your home will look at you and they'll do what you think is cool. If the mum's the only one going to church and taking the kids and the dad's never there, then guess what? The boys are going to look at the dad and say, dad doesn't go. I want to be like dads. But the real spiritual guys, the real spiritual fathers will set an example for their kids. And spiritual dads, are good dads are spiritual dads. Setting an example for their lads. In Proverbs, in fact, the whole book of Proverbs is written by King David's, so King Solomon to his son. It's not King Solomon's wife or one of them. It's, It's King Solomon writing to his son. He's a father writing an entire 31 chapter book to his son about spiritual things and about life. Dads, take your cues from great dads like that. Dads, be a role model spiritually to your sons. Solomon wrote to his son about relationship and sex. He told him the birds and the bees incredibly frankly. He told him the woman to stay well clear of. He told him the type of wife he should go for. He talked to him about financial dealings and about how to care for the poor, and how to avoid injustice and corruption and frauds. He talked to him about employment attitudes. He talked to him about getting taking responsibility in life. He talked to him about the way you speak and the way you think and the way you act. He talked to him about international matters as well as local politics. His father took took time to take him on a whole journey through life of both spiritual and practical things. And he gave his son advice on how to live. That's how fathers should raise their sons. Raise them spiritually. Third point I want to make to you today is discipline your children in love. As the Bible says in Ephesians 6 verse 4, bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. Now, in our, in our minds, often discipline equals negative. It's not a positive thing. But when you look in the Bible, you see actually discipline's a very positive thing. In the Bible, discipline equals love. It says in um, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6, the Lord disciplines... Those he loves. I remember when I first became a Christian. I was 15 years old. I put my faith in Jesus and I started reading the Bible. You know, one of the things I'd I, I believe, well, God is for me. He loves me. He accepts me. But then all of a sudden, it was like God started taking me on. It's like I, I, this, I was this little diamond taken out of a, a mine and I had all this mud on me and bits of rock stuck to me and God was taking a chisel on me. I'm like, Get this off. And that. And i was like, Oh, Lord, whoa. And I was just reading the Bible. Sometimes I didn't want to read the Bible. Because every time it seemed, God was just nailing me. is anyone had that? Especially when they first came just put your hand up. I and mean, look at that. Thank you, Lord. That's a real blessing, Lord. I thought, man, God, if I, th- I came to you because I thought you loved me. Now you're now you're you're nailing me. You're taking me on, you're And it's it's like this accelerated process begins when you start following God. But then I read this verse and it says, God disciplines those he loves. You see, God loves you so much, he accepts you as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you as you are. And he believes in you. And he takes you on into the future he has for you. It's called sanctification. He deals with all the stuff that's held you back. Because he believes in you and your future. And he wants you to reach your potential in life. Discipline is positive. Now my wife's a school teacher and I, sometimes she says, Peter, man, there's two or three kids in my class who just play up. And she, and she tells me stories. She says that you know she, she, she's really nice with the kids but when it comes to certain kids that are playing up, she'll just nail them. She won't give them an inch. She'll come down with them like a ton of bricks. She'll give them a rollick and she'll let, she'll let them know who's boss and she'll put them in place. And she'll be doing this for like, and she's told me, Peter, I do, there's two or three people, and for a whole week I was doing this with them, and at the end of the week, they write me a little note saying, Dear Mrs. Anderson, I think you're the best teacher in the world. I say, you're nuts, you little nutter. I've just nailed you all week. And you write me a little love note saying, you're the best teacher in the world. Are you warped. Uncanny. The amount of times my wife has told me that story, that's happened several years for her. And it's the same response. Kids respond well to boundaries. They respond well to someone laying down the law. They need that. There's something in them that tells them they know that they need that. Someone just letting them off the hook. You're not doing your kids any favors. And I want to say, this is a, a warning for single parent mums or single parent dads. Don't be scared of getting labeled you're the mean one and then they go to their father's or they go to the mother's and that's where they get all the treats and the sweets and they get a let to do whatever we want there. But you tell me I can't do that. And the kids might try and play you off. Do not be intimidated to discipline. Because you are not the mean one. You're the loving one. As you love them, as you discipline them, then I guarantee you, it will not push them away at all. In fact, it will empower them. And they'll like being around you. Because they will be empowered with security. Discipline gets at the root issue in humanity. Most of us believe, uh, well, most of the world would believe that children, when they are born, are morally neutral or morally good. So we must let these morally neutral, morally good children have freedom to express their little selves so they can go on and grow up to become very well-adjusted little axe murderers. (laughs) So that's what we believe. But the reality is, not one parent teaches the child to sin. Not one. Even the most evil parent in the world wouldn't teach the child to do evil. And yet, from the word go, they sin, the little children. Sin. They sin. Why? Because it's in human nature to rebel against God and rebel against people. Sin is our default. And that's why we need a savior. Otherwise, we'll go to hell and pay for our sin. Jesus died for us on the cross. Now sin is there, so we must discipline. It says in Proverbs chapter 19 verse 18, "Discipline your son while there is still hope, and do not desire his death." Wow, strong words. In other words, if you don't discipline, you're literally saying, "Well, I don't care about whether you die." Proverbs 22:15 says, "Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him." Okay, big question. How do you discipline? How do you discipline? And I want to say very clearly, every child is different. Every parent is different. And every situation requires a different response. If you want practical advice, here's some practical ways you can discipline. Baseball bats. No, sorry, that's the wrong list. Uh, That's the youth teams list. Okay time out the naughty step that's a good way of disciplining all right kids you're playing up i've given you a warning now time out go and sit in the naughty step everyone's seen super nanny right that's that's what she does Well, we don't we, in our house we, we do something so we, we send them to the bathroom <clears throat> right you need to go put yourself in the bathroom sit there think about what you've done crap yourself okay Now just <laughs> uh just get yourself in the bathroom and think about what you've done wrong so they sit there, then we go back in. Now, when Becky was five, we put her in there for five minutes. When Becky was three, we put her in there for three minutes. And it's so like, we would go in and we say, right, we get down and say, what did you do wrong? And they tell you, I hit Michael. Was that right? No. So what do you say? Please forgive me. And what do you need to do? I need to go and ask Michael's forgiveness. So good, you're going to do it. That's what we do. What I mean, one time, we put Michael in there because he would be naughty we completely forgot about him. <laughs> all right, so we were just get, we were so busy, we were just getting on with things. Half an hour, I was like, Michael's still in the toilet. <laughs> so we'd be sitting there totally thinking, I've really blown it this time. <laughs> uh, okay, other ways to discipline it, you can confiscate things, you can ban things, all right? You're going to take your favorite toy away from you. We've put things up in Michael's top shelf so you can still see them. <laughs> but you can't reach them, son, because you'd be naughty strong eye to eye contact get strong talk you get right down eye to eye that's another way of disciplining you get right down on the level in their face and talk really sternly to them clearly strongly discipline them okay and that's important that's they need to understand and you're describing to them what's wrong another way of displaying smacking now this is a controversial one it's controversial and some of you may be for that some of you against that Uh, I've got my own opinion that we, we, we do smack. We don't do it often. We do it very, very rarely. In the United Kingdom, it is legal to smack. It is legal, but it's not legal to leave a mark on the child. You can be very tactical on how you do it. <laughs> and secondly, you're not allowed legally to use an implement to smack in the United Kingdom. We do smack, but we, do, we, we reserve that for very rare occasions. And in a moment, I'll show you the statistics about smacking. Smacking has stirred up a lot of controversy, and a lot of people have protested about this sort of stuff. Here's one particular protester. You can see uh, he is very strongly believes in no smacking. <laughs> uh, research from Calvin College in Michigan has shown that children smacked up to the age of six were, uh, were likely as teenagers to perform better at school than the, uh, and were more likely to carry out volunteer work and to want to go into university than their peers who had never been physically disciplined only children who continued to be smacked into adolescence showed clear behavioral problems so while I say personally I believe in smacking I believe in smacking when they're young and as they get older you've got to start working with them in a different way otherwise that starts to damage them rather than help them I believe there is a time where physical discipline actually does help I really believe that Again, you can apply that as you really believe. You've got to live with your conscience and do your thing. Keys in disciplining is this. Listen, be just when you discipline. If if the crime is this big, don't discipline this big. Don't discipline when you've just had a bad day and the littlest thing sets you off. That's not just. And kids have a huge understanding of what's fair and what's not. They have a massive... I mean, kids really get upset when things aren't fair. So you must be just and fair with them. Secondly, be true to your words when you're disciplining. I've heard so many mums and dads in the supermarket saying, I won't tell you again. I won't tell you again. I won't tell you again. (laughs) I won't tell you again. You think, man. And the kid just think, you're a liar. So what about when you say, I love you? Do they believe you then? Now, when is it you're telling the truth? At what point do you stop lying and tell the truth? because if you don't tell the truth in that then how can I trust you in anything else you say I promise I'll help you well wait a minute you never tell me the truth that's a, again we're reflecting God and God is a God who speaks truth when God promises God follows through so listen when you're going to say something bit disciplinary if you do that again I'm going I'm to do this if you say that you must follow through with that I don't care where you are I don't care if you're in public I don't care how many people think anything of you you must follow through with that. You must be truth to your word and be careful what you say in the first place. Um, you know, an, another guideline is be in the right place in yourself. Make sure your discipline comes out of being in the right place. You see, more important than what a parent does to discipline is how a parent does it. Where are you at on the inside? Jesus, when he disciplined people, remember when he went into the temple and drove out the money changers? He came in, he sussed it out, he saw that we were doing things. that's wrong he went home that night, he made a whip of cords he had a plan he went to sleep, slept in it, he woke up and he went in and he took out in them. he just went ballistic and kicked them out but notice he didn't just walk in first thing and flip out and then just go ballistic he saw it he figured out what was wrong, he made a discipline implement, came back the next day and he decked them, it was planned it was considered, it wasn't irrational it wasn't just freaking out it was considered, he was in control, not out of control. When you're out of control and disciplining, you're moving into the realm of abuse. And that's dangerous. And also, as well as disciplining, you need to reward good behavior. As much as you punish bad behavior, you must reward good behavior. We've got a, a present box that sits, again, on top of the covers. It's, and it's their little prizes. So lots of little trinkets and stuff that we've got. And if, if they're good, and they move the. We've got a little star chart. If you're good, you get this. Eat well, go up. Be nice to your sister, go up. All this stuff happens. And then you get to choose a toy. And they think, oh, cool. And they see what else is in there. They think, next time I'm going to go for that. <laughs> and then they have this plan to work their way up the ladder again. Reward good behaviour. And also, there needs to be unity between mum and dad when you're disciplining. Never say, I disagree with you. I'm going to do it my way in front of your kids. You might disagree with each other, but don't disagree in front of the kids. Agree how you're going to do things. Provide a united front. Or a little kid will play you off each other. And fourthly and finally, proactively input into your kids. Ephesians 6 verse 4, bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. You see, there's a huge difference between being a Christian and having kids and a Christian upbringing. There's a huge difference. You need to be passionate and proactive when raising kids. And I want to say that the school is not the one responsible for giving your kids education. And that the church is not the one responsible for educating your kids spiritually. You, as parents, are responsible for educating your children. A huge part of that will be the school. And you, as parents, are responsible for your spiritual well being of the kids. And the church will play a huge part in that as well. We must take responsibility. Proverbs 22 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You say, No, no, I've got to let little, little Johnny make his own mind up. I can't tell him what to believe. You better. Because if you don't, his buddy in the playground will. The television will tell him what to believe. The culture around him will tell him what to believe. And I tell you, they don't care for him like you do. They usually care about other stuff. And you, the parent who God has placed in place of responsibility, you're the only one before God who has really been given the right to tell that child. You must not brainwash. You must proactively impart your values, share your beliefs, empower them to make great decisions about their future. Not dominate them or dictate to them. I don't mean that. But I'm talking about raising them well notice it says train up a child in the way they should live it doesn't say teach them it says train them the difference between teaching and training is teaching is what you say training is not just what you say it's also what you do parents are often very good teachers but not always good doers and that's given you often a dilemma about your own parents because you think wait a minute that's not consistent they say do as I say not as I do (laughs) But actually, the best training comes from seeing as well as hearing. And then it goes on to say, "Bring them up in the instruction of the Lord." I want to encourage you: teach your kids the Bible. Let them understand truths. Don't make it dull, because the Bible isn't dull. Make it exciting. Sometimes I I model. We we act out the Bible with our kids. Sometimes when you're doing the God voice, do the God voice. Let them know it's God speaking in the Bible at that point. We enact the miracles. We enact resurrections in our house. Uh, We've enacted all sorts of stuff with the kids, David and Goliath, and I I end up always being Goliath. (laughs) We have tons of fun, and you know, also there's lots of children's Bibles. We we change them all the time. We go through. We have different levels because different kids' Bibles that say it differently, and we different kids' Bibles. And also, I've just bought Becky some books recently about ten women who refused to give up, and these are biographies for her age group about women of God who've made a huge impact down through the ages so we want to educate our kids and give them a broad worldview and give them excitement about God as well as modelling them and finally, listen raise your kids in church raise your kids in church you know some families miss church because they want to protect family time that's completely wonky thinking they think, listen, we've had a really busy week, so this week, kids, we're not going to go to church. We need time out. We need to protect family time. That's totally ludicrous. That's self-destructive thinking. The best way thing for your family is have your family in the house of God where they can learn about God, where the kids can see you worship and learn how to worship and be around people who love God. That's the best thing for you kids. If you're going to protect family time, be at church. In fact, I encourage you, be regular at church. To the point, me and, me and Angie, we prioritize our, our holidays around church. So we're there for church as often as possible. Just because we want the, ch- the kids as well as ourselves, it's part of our lives. And by doing this, it builds strength into the kids. Selwyn Hughes says, There is a moment in childhood when the door opens and lets the future in. And I want to say that you've got to do everything you can as a parent. To prepare your child for the future that's coming. To have values in them, truths in them, and most of all an exposure to God. As a church, we have a vision for families. We have a vision for parents. We have a vision for single parents. We want to do everything we can to support and undergird your lives and help you not do your job, but help you do your job well. We have a vision for marriages. We want you to have hot, exciting, passionate, lifelong, blessed marriages. We have a vision for your sex lives. We want you to have exciting sex, creative sex. The sex that you've only dreamt of in the confines of marriage. And I believe as we're modeling these lives with God's help, and it has to be with God's help, in a city that's so desperate, it prepares us to impact generations not just the folks sitting here today these truths I believe will prepare you for your future prepare the generation coming under us for our future don't just learn these truths go download the mp3s learn the truths know, know them strongly in your heart and then teach them to others empower others with truth and as we do this we impact our city let's pray Father Father We want to thank you so much for your incredible love for us. God, you reveal yourself as father, but not just as father, but as daddy. God, I pray for every parent in this room today. I pray, God, help them to have the wisdom of God to raise their kids well. God, help them to be people who are not disinterested or absorbed with everything else in life. God, let them be... parents who are, take a deep involvement and interest in the child's life, just as you do, Father. Holy Spirit, I pray, come. Empower the parents here. I pray for the single-parent mums and single-parent dads in this church. God, I pray, let that cloud of condemnation leave their heads. God, let them right now know the liberty of God. Empower them, God, with fresh vision and your ability to lead their kids into the amazing future that you've got for them. Thank you, not one of them needs to be negatively affected by the absence of the other partner. God, you're a God who redeems. You're a God who restores situations. God, I pray we'll be a people who learn to forgive the other generations that have gone before us. If people are walking with grudges, anger issues towards their own parents, I pray today, God, they wouldn't let it go anymore. They wouldn't let it go faster another day. They would repent. And they would clear the decks. And they would reestablish contact. And they would honor whether they feel the parents deserve it or not. God, I pray for anyone here today who is far from you. God, my prayer for them, God, is that today they would make a decision to give their lives back to you. I pray for people to be saved. Pray for people to come to know you as their father. If that's you today, and you know you're far from God, and you want to come to God today, you want to know God as your father, as your dad. You're willing to give your life to him. You're willing to accept what Jesus did for you on the cross. And you're willing to turn away from your sins and follow Jesus. If that's you, I'd love the privilege of praying for you. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a prayer, and I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Let this be your commitment to God. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your incredible love for me. Thank you, God, you love me so much that Jesus, you died for me in that cross. You rose again in the third day. I ask for your forgiveness today. I want to know you as my father. I want to be your child day I make you Lord of my life Jesus and I commit myself to following you in this day forward as your child in Jesus name Amen Okay Is it a sin for a couple to have no intention of having children? That's a good question I, don't, I, I can't say it's a sin because I think the Bible doesn't say it's a sin but if you look at the purposes of things, you see that God's brought husband and wife together at the beginning in creation. And often our, we get our cues for understanding the basis of relationships from the very beginning. Uh, and the beginning of creation, when God brought man and woman together, he brought them f- together for each other primarily. But then secondarily, out from that union, his commission was to go be fruitful, fill the earth. So I think... To remove the commission to fill the earth uh, from marriage, I think, undermines what marriage was all about at the beginning. Having kids is not what marriage is all about. Marriage is all about love and union between husband and wife. But as an outworking from that, having kids is a very integral part of that. So is it a sin? I don't think it's a sin. But I certainly think it should be a part of it. It's not always possible for couples to have kids. I know many couples in the church who are struggling to to conceive, and that's a very painful, challenging thing they're going through. And uh, there's a few things I would say to people in that situation. If you're struggling to have kids, uh, first of all, God is able to miraculously turn that situation around. And we have many testimonies in the church of people we've prayed for, and God has turned around their situation and enable them to have kids when medically or when their journey indicated they weren't gonna be able to. So that was, praise God for that. But equally, there are many people we've prayed for who after prayer, nothing's changed, but they have it still within them to have kids. I know a, a number of couples, I was to one couple tonight who are at the lat, they've just been accepted to adopt, and they're now in the selection process of uh, choosing someone to adopt, and it's an awesome stage. And I want to say to you that if that's the route you go down, that you have to know that that is not second best, that that is absolutely awesome, and that for that child, you are the purpose of God for them. And that is just such a special thing if you can adopt or even foster. Okay, thanks. My father never showed me the father heart of God. How can I learn to relate to God as Abba Father? How can I show love to my unemotional and... Undisenga- and disengaged dad? This question I think many people could have asked. I think the pain of not having a father that reflected God's impacts a child more than you'll ever realize. <clears throat> and that impact continues on into, chi- into adulthoods. As Selwyn Hughes said, there's a moment in someone's childhood where they open a door and the future comes in. And sadly for many people, their negative experience of childhoods frames their whole future and um, Roddy our counselor on staff he said to me Peter if I was given a pound for every time someone said when I was eight and there's always something you know in their childhoods that defines their future and it devastates their future fatherhood's a big one again that's why I think Paul in Ephesians chapter six nails the father's And he focuses his advice on fathers rather than on mothers and fathers generally. If you haven't had a father who reflects God, the first thing to do is come to God. And then in your relationship with God, don't have an academic relationship with God purely. You know, study the Bible, look at things academically. But make sure your relationship with God isn't just academic, but it's also alive. That the Holy Spirit is the one speaking to you and leading you and directing your heart towards God, then he, as the Holy Spirit illuminates things, as things go from being information in your head academically to being revelations in your heart, then you start to understand more and more the fatherhood of God. That's a journey. It doesn't happen overnight, but it's a journey worth going on. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. So the Holy Spirit will give us revelation of the Father heart of God and love of God. And as we experience that, not just understand that, but experience that, that will empower us to receive that love from God. Now beyond that, as we understand that love, then that empowers us to show love to others. Our love from God empowers us to love other people. It's as we know we're loved, it makes us people who are empowered to then love. And then you're going to find that you're going to have the grace and the love to give away to others, maybe, maybe to your father, who didn't show you that love. You'll have the love from God for your father, because God loves your father, even though you're finding it hard to relate to him. And when you understand God's love for someone, it will empower you to communicate that love to them as well. If you have issues with a parent, is it better to tell them, and if so, how? Okay, that's, that's a great question. Typically, it's good to talk about your issues. Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go talk to him. But here's the thing. Sometimes issues are issues that you've got, but the other person is completely and genuinely didn't know that they did something to you. So in that moment, you've got to make a judgment call. Without knowing the specific situation, it's hard for me to specifically comment. But in general, if you have an issue with someone It's a good thing to talk to that person about it but you've got to be careful that you're not just dumping on it on them to get it off your chest but then it becomes a problem for them. Sometimes it's right actually to deal with the issue before God's and then let go of it Uh, rather than giving them an issue that they didn't previously have. They might not get that. They might not get that that's important for your journey and you've also got to make sure that your journey doesn't become a selfish thing that then damages others. But having said that, if there is an issue you have with, for example, a father, and the father knows that he's not been the best father, then actually it's good to talk then, because there's an air, there's an atmosphere that's there, there's a lot of things that are unsaid. It's time that those things are said. It's time that those things are talked through. If you know your father's the kind of person who's not going to give you a moment to talk, that he's not going to want to hear, he's just going to r- brush you off, then actually it will just stir you up more. So it's probably best in those in- instances to deal with your issues as best you can before the Lord. And if necessary, write a letter, and then you've communicated it without giving him a chance to come back at you and undermine you. Okay, next question. My father and I no longer speak, nor do I wish to ever again. I feel that I should respect him and reach out to him in love, but I don't think I ever can. Any advice? I I know many people uh, here tonight and through the services, they would be able to say exactly the same thing. First of all, you are probably justified in feeling angry. You know, you shouldn't feel bad that you're angry. You have to understand that giving someone forgiveness doesn't mean that you're letting them off the hook. When you say, I forgive you, or I'm no longer going to hold that grudge against you, that doesn't mean that what they did now becomes right. It doesn't become right. It's still wrong, and you still should be angry that they did it. It's just that you've forgiven them, and that's a big, pro- that's a big issue. The fact that this person's asking the question and saying they feel they should forgive, or they feel they should make contact again, that's great that even that desire is on your radar now. So tonight we've said, you have got to do your best to honor your parents. Not because they're good parents, it's just because the Bible says, honor your parents. That, that desire is a good desire. It's a, it's a desire that lines up with the Bible. So you've got to come to God and say, God, I don't want to respect, my, my dad doesn't deserve respect, <clears throat> my parents, I don't want to be in touch with them, but I see what the Bible says I should honor my parents, I see Jesus, how you treated your mother. I don't want to go through life with no contact with my parents but I don't have it in me to do that and say God listen you've made this commandment I want to honor them please give me the strength bring me to the place where I'll be able to make contact and it might not be as I said earlier it might not be that you become their best buddies and that you develop this close pen pal friendship where you hang out every weekend at their house that might not be what whatever happens you see Forgiveness is given, love is given, but trust must be earned. And they've broken your trust. So it might not be that you can ever regain that. But you can give them your forgiveness. You can give them your love. And you can speak kindly to them. In another context, Jesus says, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Bless, don't curse. So Jesus' advice to people who have treated us wrongly, is to actually show love and to pray for them and to bless. That's involving words speaking blessing over them. So if you can make contact with them, the fact that you've asked the question shows that that's something you know might be the right thing to do. I think you should work towards that. And where it goes from there, it might not go anywhere great. But the fact that you've made contact, it will do something for this soul and it will do something for your soul and it honors God. Next question. Okay. What do you do when you've tried all avenues of discipline, punishment, and it's having no effect, and you're just not seeing improvement in rude behavior? Okay, remember I mentioned about the baseball bat? Well, I think this is the one where actually you do need... No, okay, that's not good. I think you've got to be consistent. If there's rebellious behavior in a child, the Bible principles do work. And just to be as consistent as you can with showing love and discipline and you be consistent, then I believe that will work. I also believe if you can live a life of love and you're treating that child with love and you're communicating love, that child might rebel. That child might answer back. But there's going to come a moment where that child will actually respond to that love. And it might just be where that child's at just now, they're unable to give that. They're unable to receive that. They're just on their own self-destruct path. Do you remember the father in the, in the story where Jesus told about the prodigal son? The father didn't persuade the child to stay at home. The father said, son, have what's yours. And he allowed the child to go and make his own mistakes. You can either learn by instruction or you can learn by making your own mistakes and figuring out yourself. It's always better to learn from instruction. But there comes a moment where a parent can do no more for the child other than pray and give them into the hands of God. And having disciplines and having been consistent and having spoken words of love and truth, now you trust God and say, God, they're in your hands. And that child will probably, like the prodigal son, end up in a bad situation in life And because you've been praying, and because you were the place that they know they they got consistency and they got security from, when they hit rock bottom, guess where they're going to come? They're going to come back to you. They're going to come to their senses. And tragically, sometimes that's what it takes for people to wake up. We don't want that. All we can do is be consistent and pray. Okay, next question. How can I be a better child to my daddy and mummy? This is written by a a two-year-old in the crash today who had a mobile phone. They said, how can I be a better child to my mummy and daddy? I I don't don't really know where that question is coming from in terms of what you're doing just now that's not very good. Uh, But being a better child might involve stopping the things that you know are not very good uh, and showing respect and honor. And I guess the best thing you can do as a child is be in pursuit of God. If you can live a life that pursues God. If you focus on pleasing God, then you'll be a blessing to everyone around you, including your mom and dad. When I was 15, and I gave my life to the Lord and I started pursuing God, He ch- started changing my attitudes, I started changing my approaches, and I actually started actively respecting my parents, not just with lip service, but actually going out my way to do things like actually spend an evening with them. stay in, instead of going out with my mates, actually spending an evening with them. Or, you know, doing something with them as a family. Things that I knew they wanted from me that I really wanted to give them as a young teenager. I wanted to do my own thing, be out and about. I started giving them things that I knew would bring them pleasure. And uh, that didn't come from my own ability to think those things up. It came from, I've committed my life to God's. And from that commitment to God, God's changing me and that's empowering me to be a better son. So my best advice is pursue God and then let him change you. Okay? Would you refuse to marry a couple who didn't wish to have children? Uh, Not at all. Not at all. I think uh, the question that came earlier said, uh, is it sin not to have children? And the Bible doesn't say it would be a sin. The Bible would encourage having children, but would I not marry a couple who refused to have children? Of course I wouldn't. No, I, I would marry a couple who believed the men would be each, with each other, that the men would be one before the Lord. So I'd happily marry a couple or endorse that marriage. No problem at all. What I would say, though, is coming back to the first question about, I don't want to have kids. You've got to ask yourself, Why? I mean, it could be as low as comfort answer. I mean, the, the lowest kind of answer would be, well, we don't want the disruption that that would bring in our lives. And if you analyze, that, it's an incredibly selfish reason. There might be many other reasons, ranging from selfishness, right through to fears or apprehensions. Maybe your own experience of your own parents has given you fears about your ability to parent. Or it might be apprehensions of what that might be like. Or it might be very natural apprehensions on behalf of the woman in terms of childbirth and labor and so on. All of these things are legitimate questions to be looked at. Don't just accept your stance on not having kids. Really look into it. Be open to be persuaded otherwise. But if you really don't believe you should have kids, then that's that's not a sin I don't believe and we would happily be involved in marrying you and endorsing your marriage. Honor your parents. If they're dead will the in-laws do? (laughs) Did you kill them? Okay, just just a go Well, yeah, anyone will do. In-laws are great. Honor your parents. If they're dead, it's it's a little bit late for actively honoring them. You can honor the memory. But I think even if the parents were alive, it's good to honor the in-laws as well. Honor your in-laws, absolutely. Angie's parents are great friends of mine. I love them to bits uh, when it comes to in-laws, we haven't really talked about this much, and this is not what the question's asking, but you've got to be careful that the in-laws don't become outlaws, that they, they don't become a danger to your marriage. Any set of parents always have an opinion about what they think your marriage should be like, and as husband and wife, when you move away, the, the old language of the, the King James version of the Old Testament says, for this reason I a man shall leave his mother and father and shall cleave to his wife. So you leave and you cleave. And basically, when you're leaving your family home, you're leaving one regime and you're setting up a new regime. You're you're leaving one family and you're setting up an entirely new family. And when you set up that new family, you've got to decide what you want that family to be like. And too much interference from the in-laws from either side, can really undermine that. So if the wife's always saying, you don't do things like my dad does things, that's not going to do the husband much good. It's not going to do the marriage much good. So while we respect and we honor, it's like when we're children, we obey, but that, transmit, that transfers into honoring. And that's the same would apply to the in-laws as well. So they, they have, we take on board their advice, and it'd be wise to do that. But we don't obey necessarily and we don't allow them to speak too much into our lives otherwise it could undermine the new thing that God has brought about, this new family are we done guys? that's great, okay thanks for all your questions everyone, I hope that's helped, God bless you, have a great night